Hello, hello. I'm your host, Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. It's another good one. Yes, you're welcome. Lainey Liberty. So who is she? No, she's not holding the torch, as she says. But I will tell you that she is a published author. Yes, you're welcome. I seem to gravitate to them, but so much to tell us. Amazon bestseller. The book is called Seen, Heard, and Understood, Parenting and Partnering with Teens for Greater Mental Health. I think it's such a relevant topic, but wait, that's not the only thing she does. Oh, no. She has spoken about world schooling on the TEDx edu stage. You had me at TEDx. I don't care what stage. I don't care where it's at. That is on like so many people's. And and honestly, one of my bucket lists is to get into the TED arena. Obviously, she's also published in a lot of journals, She co-founded the Project World School with her son. So what really caught my attention, not only is she works with her son, I love that whole part, and I want to hear more about that. And yeah, international speaker, teen mentor, and we're going to know about some alternative education because she is into world schooling. So with that, I say, thank you for being here and welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you. I'm so (laughs) looking forward to today's conversation. Yes, absolutely. So tell us about you anywhere you'd love to start. Wow. <laughs> I know it's it's such a loaded. I know. So like wherever and then we just we'll go from there. Well, when people ask me this, it's usually in context of like our world schooling and everything sort of came from there, but I'll touch on a little bit before that. Basically, 2008, I'm from California. The economy crashed. I had worked in marketing and branding, advertising for 18 years. And the last eight of those years, I owned my own agency in LA and it was focused on serving green eco companies and nonprofits. And it was pretty successful. It was one of the first boutique specialized agencies in LA. And but we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what that did mentally. Mm. I worked a lot. I was completely overworked, single parent to an only child. And I always wanted to be a parent. I was, mm-hmm. was passionate about parenting. And the working hard was, of course, because that's what was expected of me. And it's, it's mm-hmm. doing it for him. I mean, I was doing it for me, too. I'm not going to bullshit you. I mean, I mm-hmm. like what I did. But it was really about following that American dream. And it was all focused in consumerism. Mm-hmm. And we were check just- off a little box here and there and check, check, check double check. check. Yeah. Check, check. And I'm doing all the shit I'm supposed to be doing. And it feels good because I'm successful. I'm making money. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't realize was the trade-off was I was missing out on my son's life. That really came to a crashing halt when the 2008 economy crashed in LA, in California specifically, right? 
And because I had green eco companies and nonprofits as the majority of my sort of like bread and butter clients, they Mm. started to go away. And the stress of working like 60 to 80 hours a week, then the stress of like, what the fuck am I going to do? This is crazy. We're faced with this whole new change. We're Mm -hmm. to look at what's next. Kind of like 2020. And I'll get to that in a minute. There we go. Yeah. And one night, well, I guess I'll back up. My son and I had the most amazing relationship. We still do. And he's 23. But... He used to say to me all the time, mom, you're always working. You never spend any time with me. And that mm-hmm. broke mm-hmm. my heart into a million yep. pieces. Yeah, can you imagine? Double-edged sword. I'm doing this for you, for us. So late one night, at, and I remember it was in October. I wasn't, you know, far from my birth. Mm-hmm. I just passed. And I was looking at the books, and, I, and my son's name is Miro. And I said, Miro, what would you think if we didn't, like, if we got rid of all of our stuff and just kind of left and had an adventure, knowing that I wasn't going to bring back my staff the following, you know, after the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. break, I was just inspired to speak these words. It wasn't predetermined. It wasn't planned. It just was like inspiration. Mm-hmm. And he looked, he's like, was playing a video game in the office and he stopped. He's like, you serious? I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And then the next question he asked me was, do I have to go to school? <laughs> I was like, no, no, let's just go travel. So that was the birth of this whole new inspiring thing. And I, I said it, I knew I, it was the right thing to do. I was sort of driven by inspiration. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly it was sealed, done, and that was our fate. And so six months later, we had I closed business. We had sold or given away all of our stuff. And we both had these two really, really heavy backpacks. And we got on a plane to Mexico. And the funny thing is I'm in Mexico right now. So I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Like she never left. Where's the adventure there? No. Oh, no. Are you kidding? We've been to, well, the plan was at that time to put on our backpacks and head south and end up in Ushuaia, Argentina, and the tip of South America and just sort of make our way down. And we were going to do it in one year. And for like a normal person living a conventional life, one year seems like a hell of a long time. But it turned out to be a really short time. And the thing that it was important that I said in this introduction that my son and I were very, very close. And we had a very close relationship even at nine years old. He had just turned 10 and we decided that we were going to partner. Like we shook hands on it. We are going to make a deal. We are going to partner. This is our journey. You and I side by side. This Mm -hmm. is our adventure. And along with that, I'm one of those people that sort of needs scaffolding to sort of make things make sense. So Mm -hmm. we had all these deals. And one of them was all of our decisions were going to be made in partnership. Nobody outrules the other person. Just because I'm the adult doesn't mean I'm the boss. Everything has to be consensus which requires a lot of conversation. We were going to say yes to everything that Mm. was in alignment with our values. And sort of a little side note, which will get me kind of to this in a Mm -hmm. minute. Mm -hmm. Because I worked in branding, one of the developmental tools of developing a brand for a business is defining your core values. So I'm like, okay, honey, we're going to do this. I need to define my core values as a human. You need to define yours. And together we're going to create our map, our family Mm -hmm. map of, of core values. And because we're saying yes to everything, we need to make sure we can run it through the filter of our values. And if it's Mm. alignment, we do it. So no more excuses. If it's in alignment with our core values, we say yes. And so that was another tool that we used. And I was like very intentional about all of these things. And I often talk at home ed conferences about this kind of learning. 
one of the other things we did was the budget was ours. He had all the codes to the ATM. He had an ATM mm-hmm. card, the bank. Mm-hmm. This was our money, our budget, our adventure, and we were doing this in partnership. And so for us, that was kind of like the birth of partnership parenting, which I talk a lot about. And there's a big chunk of that in this book. But it's really living in partnership with young people. And it's super important once they hit their adolescence. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. We've got travel adventure stories and all kinds of That's, stuff that we yeah. talk about. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, and okay, we're going to pick one, but then we're just going to keep it moving. So yes, travel adventure. That always sounds, again, so romantic. So this, not a carrot. Look, we, we don't have stuff. We, if we feel like doing it today, we do it. If we don't, eh, we're not going to do that today. But what I'm really hearing and as I told you earlier, before we started recording, my kids are adults and I didn't always, I wasn't always successful with this, but I do know that it is so important because after all, people, people, person, we're all people. And I know how important it is to me as an adult. And it's been one of my driving forces as an adult, and that is to be seen and heard. And I want to say not so much with my two girls. I had two girls in my 20s and I had the prince, my son, in my 30s. And it was really when he came along when I realized, yes, it goes fast. With my girls like you, I I just wanted to be a mother. Check it off. Life complete and let's go on. Did not realizing like, oh, this is it can be hard and challenging. But when he came along and was, and not that my girls weren't strongly opinionated, they were, but I was very much set in the parent role. I'm your mother, I'm your mother, I'm your mother. And he just always, from a very young age, saw things rational, you like, could really make such a good argument that I would be like, I'm going to give you points for trying. That was well-delivered etc. I said, but in this case, you're overruled. Duly noted. I like the way you're thinking. But the fact that I took the time to even hear what he had to say, and I still do to this day, but that really changed a lot in the way I viewed my kids. But chronologically, they go through their phases of teenage, of young adult, And you have to give them that groundwork for when they are. You want to be able to give them a foundation and know that they have to know their voice is important. And I love that you did that. Yeah. And I would probably challenge you with all the things that you said. And I totally respect or all the Mm -hmm. things, you you know, I totally Mm -hmm. respect your experience and, and the journey that through parenting that you had. I too was raised in an authoritarian paradigm. I also was raised by a mother who was narcissistic, narcissist, who was a narcissist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I experienced a shit ton of trauma growing up, right? Oh yeah. Okay. And so I had to overcome that. And as somebody who was yelled at, screamed at, and the the physical memory of my body shaking. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. still tear up when I hear people shouting. My nervous system reacts in such a way because it's such a visceral memory. And before I became a parent, I wanted all that healed. I wanted to understand mm. that. I wanted to break the cycles of generational trauma. I was mm-hmm. Very, very much involved in self-education and self-healing around that. And when my son became an adolescent, that really triggered another sort of a deep dive research into adolescent development, the science behind brain development and, and what mm-hmm. was happening neurobiologically, the psychology of teen. 
development, social learning, cultural learning. Like, like I, I went deep. <laughs> so all that stuff is in here too, because it's important that parents understand when they're parenting somebody who's going through the adolescent stage, how they're experiencing the same situation, right? Because of- so true. And mm-hmm. I found that because I chose not to be an authoritarian parent, like it was very, very intentional. And because, well, you know, in the 80s, I was a punk rocker and I was into anarchy mm-hmm. and you know, <laughs> all the shows. Like I have that spirit of rebelliousness in me. Mm-hmm. I always ask why, why? And I wanted to cultivate that kind of confidence in my son. And I asked why, because it was a trauma response. I wanted Mm -hmm. him to ask why, because I wanted him not to be compliant just because somebody said so. So the listening to him and the consensus was my work. I had to reprogram the authoritarian parenting mm-hmm. that was dominant in the culture around me. Sure. My own experience, because I didn't want that. I really wanted to partner with them because the very thing that I didn't get when I was growing up, I was invisible. I was seen. I was yelled at. So I wanted to be seen for who I was. I wanted to be heard and understood. And that drove kind of my own mental health journey and healing, mm-hmm. and supporting his emotional intelligence as he was growing up. So yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. No, absolutely. A silly question would be, how did you come up with that? And so much of the birth of change is usually self-healing. It's yeah. we know what we had. We know we don't want that anymore. And here's what we wish it could have been, Mm -hmm. but we're going to make it real for someone else. Exactly. Oh my God, you're so spot on. (laughs) I mean, that's why this came about. Yeah. So when you're starting your travels and you start in Mexico and do you travel for how long? Do you just... Tell me how the first few years, because you're in adolescent years, which for, I'll say the average or most parents, definitely challenging, but if only they really knew it's challenging because of everything that it's really bringing up, like you don't realize it sometimes till again, after the fact, you'd be like, Ooh, yeah, uh uh-huh. That was the 13-year-old me talking and, and <laughs> yeah. You're so spot on. And I, I'm going to answer your question, but I mm-hmm. have to tell you that the reason why I continue to work with teens, and it's been over mm-hmm. 10 years now, is so my inner child, the one that's an adolescent, the one that, that was stunted growth, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so she can be seen, heard, and understood, and so that she can do this act for others and nobody else will not be seen, heard, or understood. Like it's Mm -hmm. healing, it's self-healing. Yeah. So travel, travel, let's talk travel. (laughs) Travel's awesome. There was no normal for us other than when we felt inspired, we moved. And when we wanted to stay, we stayed. We ended up staying about eight or nine months in Guatemala, a few months, three or four months in Nicaragua. We were less than a month in in Honduras. Same with El Salvador. There were places that we came back to because we just loved it. And we, when we decided that it was time to go, it was time to go. And I'm going to tell you a funny story. So I told you it was supposed to be a year travel, right? Mm-hmm. And I told you that one of the things that we were going to do together was to say yes to everything. About eight months into our travels, Miro comes up to me and he's like, Mom, can we do this forever? Mm. (laughs) Wow. So after eight months, there was less scarcity of time. And if you understand what I mean by that. A year seems like a long time when you're living a conventional life to take off, to leave Mm -hmm. your life, right? Mm -hmm. 
But when you have an open-ended sort of like ticket, an open-ended trip. Sure. No end to it. There's no, no scarcity of time. There was absolutely scarcity of money because we had enough budget for one year. And that created a whole new sort of, uh, how are we going to do this? Let's figure it out. And, and obviously, 13 Clearly you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the places that we just, like I said, fell in love with was Antigua, Guatemala. And we ended up staying there for about eight months. And... We changed tremendously in that country. That was a country where we said yes to continuing. This was a country where we suddenly like exhaled and slowed down because mm-hmm. now we didn't have a time limit. The timetable, right. The clock wasn't ticking. Who cares what time it is? Exactly. We've got time. We've got time. And like, I'll just tell a super quick story. I mm-hmm. changed in such a way that this story to me is really profound. Some people get it. Some people don't. I'm sure your listeners will. But I remember sitting in this park, the main park in Antigua. One of our favorite things to do, we would get up, have breakfast, and we'd just go down and sit in the main square. And there was a fountain and all the women with the babies and the colorful blankets mm-hmm. were on their back. And the little children were running around selling chiclets, which was, you know, these little mm-hmm. candies and Just people would mingle and walk through business people, tourists, lots and lots of locals. And I just love the colors and the flavor and the smells and everything was just so incredible. And we we did this for months. We would just come and sit in the park. We'd draw. Sometimes we'd read. It was just Mm -hmm. the loveliest place to be. And one afternoon, this older gentleman came up and he sat down next to me and he was well-dressed. He was from Antigua, um, but had been educated in the U.S. and worked in the U.S. and been back and forth and was of retirement age. And he said, well, (laughs) hello, young lady. I was like, glad that he said that anyway. Yeah. So he's like, can I join you? And I was like, of course. We spoke in English. And at the time, we didn't speak Spanish. Now we do, but we didn't then. Mm -hmm. And he said, so what do you do? And I looked at him and I authentically had this confused look on my face. And as Mm. if a big question mark, you know, fit over your head. Right, right. And I said, when? (laughs) Because I was confused. It just didn't make sense. And that kind of question is one of the most common questions in Western culture. Like, I'm a creative director. I own a business. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a right. Yeah. Exactly. And that simple question stayed with me for the last 13 years. I transformed from the person who identified and did to the person who just slowed down and became. And that is sort of like the whole Mm. beginning of the journey. Yeah. Because when I'm here, what do I do when? When when I'm not in the park. (laughs) So you get it. Absolutely. So puts it into perspective. So let's talk about the book because I really think it's just so important and relevant in these times. And I'm always curious. We do have a lot of authors on the show the writing process. So what (laughs) do you, again, wake up one day and say out loud, we've got to share this? How did it begin? Was there a catalyst? Was there something that flashed across your eyes and you're like, okay, today's the day. Let's get the outline written or whatever the process was. Yeah. So of course I have to go give you a little more backstory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when we left, and I promise I'm going to answer your question. We left, Miro was just turning 10. So tween, preteen, when he hit his teen years, at the time he was 13 and we had just landed in Cusco, Peru, a place that we made our home for three years. That was our base. And we loved being there. But the pre-adolescence and then the adolescence desire of wanting to have community and wanting to have friends and social learning and all of that stuff wasn't getting met, those desires for him. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. they weren't being met. And at the time, I started to write about all the learning that we were doing because he didn't have to go to school. He was previously in school, but I knew intuitively that he would learn and he did learn and we learned together. And it was like, like our whole journey was a learning process. You know, we started a podcast together. My son and I produced a podcast together oh. years ago, and it was so much fun. We we co-wrote it, we co-produced it, we re- researched, we each interviewed people. We had we shared history of the places that we were, and it was such a fun, fun project for us. But we were learning, and we couldn't not learn because right. the world around us was teaching us, and we were engaged, and we were both really curious and we didn't even have to think about learning that was the education it was just happening but after writing about the learning and speaking at a few conferences this is really Mm -hmm. the time before zoom we had flown back to the u.s and presented at at home education conferences Miro was really craving community. That was the big thing. And every single day, I want friends. I want to have this Mm. shared experience. I feel isolated. And so I came up with an idea and I pitched him. How about we start a company where we bring teens to us to have these immersive learning experiences that we've been writing about and sharing at conferences and been published Mm -hmm. in magazines talking about this. He's like, sure, mom, let's do it. But I doubt this is going to work. Lo and behold, because I can't add the background in advertising and marketing, we jointly founded this company called Project World School. And it was to create these immersive learning experiences for teens in different places in the world. And that thrusted me down the rabbit hole of really learning about building community and conflict resolution, nonviolent communication, and then really, really, really learn about the teen development. So teen adolescent development in the teen brain and all the stuff that I talked about and mental health. And so we brought our first group in 20, I think it was 2011 or 2012. I don't remember 2011. Mm -hmm. I think it was. And we had a group of six teenagers come to Peru and we organized this month-long retreat and it was great. And we learned a lot, uh, made a ton of mistakes and did it again Mm -hmm. the next year. The next year Mm -hmm. we refined and modified and simplified in some cases, um, really developed our own process of sharing circles and accountability. And I brought the partnership parenting into this model. So we were co-creating an experience and everything had to be based on consensus. So can you imagine 15 teenagers having to agree on what we're going to do? It takes work. Oh, yeah. Okay. We did it. So then for almost 10 years, up until 2020, we were running four, sometimes five trips a year. So a month in Japan, a month in Ecuador, a month in South Africa, a month in Wales. Wow. Tough work if you can get it. Okay. <laughs> well, we created it. So we created this yeah. together. For the first few years, Miro was a participant because I did it for him. And then he started co-facilitating with me and we started to modify and really change things. And he is the main facilitator now. But I had to bring in all the mental health stuff I I was doing. I did for Mm -hmm. myself the tools that I used. I'm really a person that requires scaffolding or or framework in order to make things make sense. I've done a lot of self-inquiry and shadow work and work Mm -hmm. with archives and masks and all these like really incredible techniques and tools based on different modalities of self-healing and philosophy, psychology, and studied all of them. My reading is, my eyes are bad because I read so much. (laughs) Now, to actually answer your question, when 2020 hit, we stopped doing trips. Sure. Pandemic's happening. We, mm-hmm. You can't bring teens to <laughs> anywhere. Yeah. And we were actually here in Mexico when the pandemic hit. We were hosting a conference and we had our flights to Japan. We, were, we had a full group 
getting ready to get on a plane to Japan and every country started closing. And I mean, you know, the history. So I relived it. And so I'm noticing that my community, we built a community both on Facebook and mm-hmm. through our newsletter and through our website. Mm-hmm. They were like experiencing trauma and stress and anxiety. And the teens are the ones that I was really concerned about. So I started to host these weekly gatherings, these safe, free weekly gatherings for the younger teens on Saturdays Mm -hmm. and the older teens on Thursdays. And they knew there was an adult that showed up for them. They knew that Mm. there was a safe space online. And the younger groups, we'd play. Two hours every week, we'd play. For the older group, the first era, we talk philosophy and sort of do like a group. They don't know it's group coaching or group counseling. They don't know that. But they right. just Laney asking fun questions. Right, right. play the second hour. And it's been two and a half years and I still do this. And I've got mm. teens and young people around the world still coming to my free meetups every single week. But I wanted to offer more intentional tools. And so about six months into the pandemic, I had designed like a 12-week course for the older teens Mm -hmm. and a coaching program. And so I got certified as a coach so I could do this work, but I already had all the information. And then I, I opened up and launched online transformative mentoring for teens. And the courses... The feedback that I was getting is, I need these tools now. My life has changed. I need these tools. This is important. And then I decided about a year after, you know, year uh, Mm -hmm. teaching these courses. And I teach like a 12-week course for the older teens and an eight-week course with my son for the younger teens. Mm -hmm. And I decided, you know, I could only take so many kids, (laughs) why don't I just write this as a book and I'll combine the partnership parenting stuff, the community stuff from a family perspective, from a family culture perspective, the research that I've done for the past 10 years, the experience that I've had, plus the information that I was starting to gather from hosting these mental health courses online. Sure. And that way I can serve more families and the mental health thing right now is so... It's off the charts. It, it's probably unprecedented as far as the reach, yeah. just how many people are affected and either know it or don't know it. I talk about what we call the trauma train and it's mm. a cycle of trauma and to be in a collective trauma right now over the last two and a half years, there's no escaping it. And you did say some people don't know it. I mean, they're not feeling the trauma in that moment, but the world around them has changed and the Mm -hmm. ground that you stand on is no longer sturdy. We need to shift, right? And being forced to change in any situation, in any way, can create trauma. And because this was a traumatic event, still is, we're all riding this sort of roller coaster or or train that takes us to all these different kind of stages of trauma. And the sad thing is, all of us, you know, teens and adults, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you can't heal from trauma until the trauma stops. That is the nature of trauma. We cannot heal and integrate it and really come to terms with it until it's over. So in some great senses, you know, we're not healed. So if we can't heal until the shit storm's over, but wait, close your eyes because you're still getting, you know, the shit is still pelleting your face. What do we do to... (laughs) prepare for when it's over or what happens? Well, you learn the, I don't even want to say emotional intelligence. You learn the awareness of Mm -hmm. the situation, understand the stages of trauma, create normalcy, create 
spaces in your families and your communities to talk about the collective trauma and learn to transition into more supportive responses than reactions. I mean, one of the stages mm. of the trauma train or, or trauma in general is coping. And we've done a lot of coping. We deal with things, which is another stage. And there are different ways that we deal with them. Sometimes we shut down, we tune out, we numb out. One of the great stages of trauma is creating kind of like Phoenix rising from the ashes. Mm -hmm. But again, there's no way to package this up into our experience and integrate it into something that is meaningful until we're out of it. Because while we're still riding this trauma train, we're going to cycle into all of these stations depending on what's happening in the world. So creating spaces that are safe to talk about where we all are and understanding it and normalizing that this is difficult. And parents who are supposed to be the caretakers, you know, mm -hmm. the ones that are supporting, if they mm -hmm. don't have the tools to recognize what they're feeling, there's no way they can support their teen who is not only going through developmental hell anyways, but then to have to process isolation, which is like the kryptonite to the teen development. Mm. I mean, isolation is... Contrary to what they need, they're starting to individuate and really try on different identities. Personas, right. Right. Social learning is a huge part of adolescence. And how do we connect socially if we can't be in the same spaces? And what that has done to so many teens, their normal development it's crazy. We need to have the understanding and the tools to be able to know how to support them. It's interesting. I love the trauma train. I know that I've heard because I'm a huge uh, podcast, avid podcast listener. Hmm. And maybe it was Brene Brown. So I know somebody said when that feeling comes up and you're reliving. So yeah, trauma, because you're reliving something from your past, but to name it. Yeah. And some people either call it a first person name, like, oh, Phyllis, that's you. All right. Not today. You know, I, I see what you're doing here and I see you, but today's not your day. And I'm going to grow a little and I'm going to take this path. So I love that. And for me, I also got a very nice visual with your metaphor of the trauma train and it's on a journey, it's on the tracks, and sometimes it speeds around the curves, and sometimes it goes a little slower. But until it stops at the station, we have to get really verbal about things. And as you say, it is so important that people definitely want to be validated. Am I the only one feeling like this? I know I'm not. And then when I hear or see that someone else is going exactly that's just as nervous or just as unsure or is afraid to make plans for the future, whatever that is. It's good that they have just something they'd be like, oh, okay, trauma train. Not the worst, okay, because we can name it, we can see it. And then here's another tool, here's another tool on, oh, okay, so when we speed up like this, it's best if I sit back in my seat instead of walk around or something like that. Exactly. Again, it's about normalizing our what's happening in our internal worlds. But because we are having this collective experience, mm -hmm. and if somebody says, well, I'm not affected. It was the best two years of my life. The world around you has changed. So you cannot escape it. It is part of our reality and creating some sort of ability to identify each of those stages helps us with kindness and compassion, not only for ourselves, but those around us. Some people get stuck in one station. And I'll tell you, a Canadian teen named Kira, who mm -hmm. was in my class, named it the trauma train. So I have to give her Oh, thank you. I love, I absolutely <laughs> love it. That's great. So Back to the book. So we have the partner, 
partnering parenting. parenting. Yeah. I'll get it. I'll get it. And then the scene part, which I'm a huge proponent about that. And so you've taken your tools of your years of the, the meetups and all of the trips that you had to really get it out to more masses, because you're right. You have the same 24 hours in a day. <laughs> Hopefully people have a good connection that they can log on. Some people don't, but then they might have a free library access to the book, or they might have be able to get it in Amazon. And what's next? Yikes. <laughs> what's ne- like, so oh, I've, I've published, I've done some TED Talks. Oh, we just got, yeah, I've done some work. <laughs> and now I just got this book. We'll just do that. What else is on the horizon here? My goodness. I could tell you, I am just starting to think about putting together a mental health retreat here in Mexico mm-hmm. for a group of teens. And the courses that I teach, all the tools are in here. This is for parents. I prefer to work with teens, not parents. Parents are kind of boring to me. <laughs> they, they require more work. <laughs> teens are more exciting and more fun. What I would like to do is to put a positive spin on mental health work. And mm-hmm. the idea for the retreat that I'm starting to design now is going to be based on the hero's journey. And it's all about meeting yourself. It's all about using these tools, but it's to actually have this group experience. The retreats that we've produced around the world are immersive learning and it's cultural learning. Now we're going to take the same idea and do the experiential learning of our internal worlds through this guided journey based on the hero's journey. I'm really excited about this idea. So I this idea birthed about two weeks ago. Oh wow. Yeah. So, so it's so it's a infancy, but love it. Yeah. That's when most things are still very exciting. And yeah, because you see like all the possibilities and all of the ideas floating through. And it's funny because when you held up the book right before. My biggest beef, well, one of my biggest beefs is I always say we're doing the best that we can and you get a flashlight or you get like the silliest thing from Amazon and it comes with a set of instructions in six different languages. And yet you bring a human into the world and they hand you this baby and they say, okay, good luck. Bye-bye. See you later. And where's the instruction manual? And this is probably a really good tool for the next years. Because as new mothers, and again, we're expecting our first grandchild uh, in less than six weeks. So it's very exciting. But I do remember, and I know my daughter has gotten some books. We had the one book, What to Expect in the First Year or what have you, you know, Burton White, and I would read it every month. That's the only one I ever had, but my kids are 36, almost 33, and almost 26. So it's great to see all of the extra resources. And then what to expect in your first year. Okay, so after that, honestly, I didn't read anything else. (laughs) I'm like, okay, we're still alive. Thankfully, they not only gave us this kid, but hey, and now they're walking too. That's high five us. Like we're doing this. We're living. And (laughs) then didn't read, not a word, anything else (laughs) through the grace of God. But to know that there's more resources out there and more people (laughs) like you that are really, and, and you're tackling It's just the hardest time with just so much changing going on. And yes, so much discovering and let's see where we can move that line. Let me push and push a little further. And a lot can definitely be stunted at that time. It can be. You really have to pick the battles is really kind of how I did. I'm like, how important is this one? Mm. All right. You can make that decision. You can definitely make that call. But it's great that this additional resource is available to parents today and at this time where we just all need, you know, additional support and we need to really stay 
verbal. And even if it's not talking with your circle or other people, or if you're not fortunate maybe to be in a group setting, even if it's journaling, even if it's just kind of flushing the shit out of the repetitive tape that's in your head, you know, that's the one that goes on repeat, you know, get it out, just hit the little lever, get a little flush going, put it on a piece of paper, (laughs) burn it on a full moon. Don't really care, but at least it's, (laughs) it's out. The thing that makes this book different than you know, some of like, I've got a stack of books over here. I told you I, I've read so, mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. Book, so many books and so much research. First of all, this is my lived journey and I've worked with teens for 10 years. And so there's a lot of that experience being shared as to what works and what doesn't. It is all about mm-hmm. connection and relationship when you're working with teens, when you're working with anybody really. But specifically with teens, it's you've got to build that relationship. And for parents, sometimes we forget. We want what's best for our kids. But the thing we're about to say, is that going to be coercion or is that going to be connection? And, you know, if we can train our minds as parents to choose the thing that's going to be more connection versus coercive, we're changing the relationship. And then the other thing is, I don't have a string of letters behind my name. I have no PhD. No alphabet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is lived experience. And, you know, I researched so much. There's a massive recommendation book list in the back to go further, right? You know, if you want to research mm-hmm. and do your own healing in certain topics, it's all broken down. But I've distilled it in such a way that you don't have to do that. You've got a little bit about the brain biology. You've got a little bit about psychology and different techniques. You've got information about parenting. You've got challenges as the parent to recognize your own triggers. And you've got challenges to help you become accountable to becoming more responsive versus reactive. And, you know, these little shifts go miles. They go go miles. Yes. And they get noticed. Yeah, absolutely. And when you're facilitating, not teaching, because you cannot teach your teen mental health, but you can partner with them to facilitate it. It's a mindset shift. You can't come at it from the top down. So you've got to get these sort of concepts about partnership really saturated in your sense of parenting, in your head, in your heart, and really understand the difference if you want to support your teen's mental health. God, I love that. And I love that there literally is an instruction book ready, ready to go. And that actually should be a must read for As they're approaching the teen years, or maybe even when you bring that baby home, because God willing, it's going to happen. And it does. And when you're traveling and don't have the concept of time, maybe it'll happen one of these days. But when, (laughs) when you're in the traditional time is really flying by, you know, when did my child hit double digits, you know, when did this all happen? Exactly. Weren't they just in kindergarten before? It happens way too fast. So I'm excited for it. Okay. Where can we find you on social? We're going to talk about where we're going to find the book, obviously on Amazon again, where do you hang out? And and I'm sure people are going to want to know perhaps more about your courses, those meetups you speak of, if they want to join your community? Sure. The team mentoring can be found at transformativementoringforteens.com. Kind of a long one, transformative mentoring for teens. The teen trips that we host are Project World School, and that's the company that I founded with my son. We also have spent years cultivating a movement called World Schooling. Didn't really exist before we started to facilitate this movement. And on Facebook, we have a Facebook group called We Are World Schoolers. Make sure you get the We Are World Schoolers part in, not just World Schoolers. 
And we also host family summits. We've done nine of them. Mm. Next year will be our 10th family summit for world schoolers. And that would be at Project World School Family Summits. You can find me all over. Just Google my name. You'll find me. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm still a little curious now. So World Schoolers, which I did say earlier on. So World Schoolers, we we are are World Schoolers. How am I in that group? Am I homeschooling? Am I just learning by adventure? What's happening here? All of those things. World schooling is education and using the world as the classroom. Mm, Love that. Homeschooling with curriculum, in addition Mm -hmm. to travel or using the world as your classroom, you could go to a foreign country and have cultural immersion and even enroll your kids in school and still be a world schooler. You could be like us and not do any curriculum or any school and learn naturally and learn through adventure. And that's through uh, what we call unschooling. But there's no one way to world school and all people are welcome. So if you are interested in using the world around you as a way to learn, join the group we are world schoolers there's another group on facebook with just world schoolers but that's not mine so okay so we are world schoolers is the one we want to in case we didn't say we are world (laughs) schoolers okay and then the name of the book again and we'll find that on amazon and that is seen heard and understood parenting and partnering with your teen for greater mental health I love the cover. I love, love, love. Thank you so much. This has been a real education. (laughs) I love learning. And today I've learned like, this is like the third new thing I've learned today. And I'm like, boy, this is great. And I know that the listeners will appreciate hearing this. And honestly, knowing that there's this resource out there, and even if it's just go buy the book, go buy the book. But it seems like they want to check a few other things out. Just every little bit helps. Yeah, very much. So thank you for this opportunity. And I really enjoyed meeting you. It was a lot. Thank of you. It was a lot of fun. And I appreciate your time. I know the comments are coming. And yes, joyfoundhere.com is where you want to deliver them. And anywhere you listen to your pods, thank you as always. We love, love, love and appreciate the support. Yes, on Apple and Spotify and iHeart and love a review. Leave a little tidbit. And until the next time, I'm telling you, go get this book. I'm going to order it. I'm sure it will answer so many questions. It also do a little cleaning, a little mental cleaning, some things that some behaviors you might recognize that perhaps you didn't want to admit to, look at, thought thought it was gone because that was so many years ago. Yeah. Funny thing about that. They're still there. So now's the time. They're still there. Yeah, they are. Until the next time, be well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.